the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. It's a really interesting notion that free speech and suppressing it could be negative for your mental health. How did you sort of dive into this topic. Yeah. So Michelle, I'll just say I'm right there with you in terms of being in environments where we feel stifled, right? So when I was getting my PhD, of course, and starting at Columbia University, I really had to kind of sing a certain song in order to be able to quote, you know, get by. And then you know, when I was kind of building my practice and getting in media, which was helpful, I knew that there were only certain opinions that I could say, right? And and it's it's hard, you know? And as a clinical psychologist, a lot of my colleagues will talk a lot about hate speech and bullying, which obviously I'm not in favor of hate speech or bullying. But what they don't talk about, what is so surprising to me, is that clinical psychologists who are usually so much in favor of putting our feelings into words and talking things out, they never stand up for free speech. And so one day I just couldn't stand it anymore. You know, what with (laughs) all the stuff with, you know, Twitter and Elon Musk and everything, it just, it just poured out of me. I just had to write it all down. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm so glad that you did. And you, you really raised some tremendous points in all of this. Um, you, you know, free speech helps people learn and grow was one of your first assertions. And, and one of the things that bothers me about this notion of hate speech and bullying is like, who gets to decide what is hate speech? If I say, gosh, I don't like blonde psychologists, is that hate speech toward Dr. Chloe? Or if you were to say, sideline reporters are a bunch of bimbos, is that hate speech toward sideline reporters? Like, who gets to decide that? And shouldn't I, as an individual who is strong of mind, be able to handle some words? A hundred percent. And so... First of all, yes, free speech does help people to learn and grow. Study after study in psychology shows that when people can talk things through, they arrive at better solutions and they increase their self-awareness and they're going to be making better, more rational decisions. But to your point as well, Michelle, about, you know, what constitutes hate speech in the first place, I think that's a, that's a really good one. And in terms of the fact that some people may just hate other people for reasons that we may or may not agree with. 
And so for me, even as a woman, if somebody wants to, you know, they feel that women should not be psychologists and that women are stupid or whatever, I don't want to stop that person from saying those things. And again, this is getting into the second point of the article that free speech actually helps safe spaces. I believe that I am actually safer knowing how people truly feel about me in the first place when we prevent people from speaking their truth, if you will, then it actually becomes even harder to trust each other. And uh, in my opinion, safety actually decreases when we start uh, stifling speech. Yeah, exactly. You don't know where this person's coming from, perhaps. Yes, this is point number two. Free speech, free speech helps safe spaces. When speech is prohibited, the viewpoints underlying hateful speech do not disappear. That's correct. The viewpoints don't disappear. Instead, they become subverted. This makes it harder to trust that we are accessing the true views of others. And don't we want to, I mean, isn't truth like the ultimate beauty? Isn't it the ultimate uh, goal of speech and argument and debate? A hundred percent. I mean, so you're actually even getting into something called reality testing. So (laughs) in truly in psychology, one of the first and most fundamental things that we assess is a patient's connection to reality. And, you know, even getting a little further into it, you know, people may have heard of groupthink, right? Which is yeah. where when you have groups of people and they start thinking and behaving in ways that are, are totally irrational. Um, Irving Janus, the psychologist who coined the term when he was uh, learning about the Bay of Pigs disaster, one of the things that he actually noticed is that when you have groups of people and there's a false sense of social consensus, meaning it's not reality. There is a false sense of social consensus because there's gaslighting due to self-censorship or top-down censorship. And then we're no longer operating in reality. We're operating in kind of a contrived, manipulated echo chamber. And that is dangerous to our mental health as well as to our decision-making abilities. Not to mention our democracy. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and that's, it's interesting that that came out of the, the study of the Bay of Pigs. I feel like we're in that space a lot lately. I don't like using that word space, but we're in that, we deal with this even now, the gaslighting that, you know, the FBI saying, Oh, we didn't have any influence over Twitter. And those who are spreading it say it's, that's misinformation. You know, it's, it's like, wait a minute. People are digging for facts. They're looking for truth. And then these authority institutions like the FBI, this is just an example. I don't expect you to comment on this politically, but they're saying, no, don't believe what don't believe what you're seeing and hearing. Don't because we're the FBI and, you know, it's like a top down. It That's so, so interesting. And it does feel like a little bit like Alice in Wonderland, upside down world, like we not we're not really getting the truth about stuff. And it, 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 I think it's made people massively distrustful of institutions in this country. What, I mean, you know, do you know what I'm getting at with institutions? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's like a false sense of, of reality. So, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. Your third point, free speech may reduce anxiety and depression. And this is so important. This was what I was getting at. I, unable to really be fully myself and express myself and my beliefs and my my values um, as I wanted to 
it, it was a really uncomfortable place. I don't know that it made me anxious or depressed me, but it it affected my mental health on kind of that daily basis of I'm not allowed to say anything, you know, it's so do we know this stuff? Is this, you know, do we have more than anecdotal evidence about this? Yeah. So what's really interesting, okay, is that most psychologists, most people in academia, et cetera, it's a very left leaning field. And, you know, because the free speech crowd doesn't tend to be on the left, it's sort of inadvertently become a politicized topic. So to your point, no, there's not necessarily a lot of psychology studies looking at free speech. Mm. However, what there are is there are tons of psychology studies that will show, for example, that learning to label our feelings, taking what's inside and putting it into words, slows down amygdala activity. The amygdala, in very simple terms, is the part of the brain that goes into, say, a, a fight or flight reaction when we have, um, you know, something really scary happen to us, right? And we can go into the fight or flight space unnecessarily. Most of what psychologists do, well, not most, but a lot of what they do is to help people learn to put things into words so that they don't go into a fight or flight situation over, you know, a difficult conversation. Like they, they teach people to find their words. But when we actually stop people from doing that because we're trying to stifle free speech, mm -hmm. of course, we're actually setting the stage, I think, ironically, for more heightened conflict. Another thing in psychology, you know, to your point, like is psychology specifically looking at the benefits of free speech in general? No. Um, <laughs> but, but what psychology studies will show frequently again and again is the benefits of social support, right? Social support is known to be a, a protective factor against mental health. And so when we're looking at social support, do you think social support would be compromised when you can't speak your mind, when you can't tell people how you really feel? Or yeah. if you're terrified that if you happen to use the wrong word that overnight is now on the naughty list of words that you're not supposed to use, um, and, and then you're really afraid of getting canceled, of course, I think that would compromise a person's sense of social support, right? So yeah. no, psychology is not really looking, in my knowledge at least, about the benefits of free speech, but they do look a lot at the benefits of talking things through. And that's yeah. why I'm surprised and dismayed that they're not connecting the dots on free speech. And it is interesting that a left-leaning field, it used to be that the left was all about free speech. And it's I don't know how things got so flip-flopped, but it is interesting. I think I can think of just family disagreements where I know where a relative stands. And so I have to bite my tongue. And that just makes everything sort of escalate. And it makes me want to leave the room and not talk to that person anymore. And that can't be really healthy, can it? No. And I, I don't think that it has to be that way, right? So a lot of people have this knee-jerk you know, reaction that we shouldn't talk about politics, right? And I get it. There's a time and a place for everything. But I don't like the idea that we just should never talk about politics because I feel like 
We might even just be forgetting how to actually have civil disagreements and, and learn to disagree peacefully. So, I mean, getting back as well, you know, to the point about reality testing and, and how that could affect those interactions that you're describing. Another falsehood that is being presented as reality is that words are violence, right? Mm, So again, getting back to this amygdala response of going into fight or flight or family members that will feel incredibly attacked, you know, if you simply disagree with them, friends or family members, they're, they, they may be doing that out of a false belief that words are violence. And I'll tell you, as a clinical psychologist, part of my duty when I'm assessing a patient is to understand whether that person is at risk of, of harm to self or others. And right. my legal duty is to take action if the person is at imminent risk of harm to self or others. And legally, that means physical violence. It's my job. I don't have a choice if the person is going to physically harm self or others. Now, if that person is planning to sound off on their neighbor with their mouth, I not only am not legally obligated to report it, it is illegal, a, an illegal breach of their confidentiality. If I go alerting authorities and telling people, hey, this guy is going to open up his mouth and say something nasty to his neighbor. So right. legally, there's a clear and obvious distinction about the difference of, of, of words versus physical harm. And telling people that words are violence, I believe, is an incredible disservice, not only to our reality testing, but to our discourse. Um, because yeah. one more thing I just want to add in terms of the psychology piece is that when we are not able to handle conflict with a direct approach by talking it through and asserting where we're coming from, et cetera, if we are unable or unwilling to handle conflicts in a direct manner, we are more likely to resort to passive aggression or acting out, which are generally in psychology considered less favorable. We're usually trying to get people to talk things through because we know that if they don't, then they'll just become, you know, kind of closed off or they might just be hostile to groups of people without fully understanding why. And we're like, why don't you talk it out with them? And yet we're not wanting people to do that with this whole free speech issue. It confounds me. It, it, you and me both. The other little term that I think of is that phrase, silence is violence. Like if you don't participate in certain conversations, you're actually committing some act of violence. That I, I, I that one bothers me so much because I've got people in my midst who really don't want to get involved. They just kind of want to live their lives. They don't want to go out on social media and say, you know, whatever the the, the latest talking point is politically or culturally. And so this idea that silence is violence is also really, um, I, I think it's, it's an unfair pressure to put on anyone to suggest that if you don't speak up about something that I believe in, Silence is violence. Yes. And it also cheapens the concept of what violence actually is. Yes. I mean, so if if we're going to go around saying words are violence, silence is violence, whatever, um, it's, it's actually cheapening victims of actual violence and it's lumping in together, say, a domestic batterer 
with somebody who, you know, verbalizes a uh, something that you disagree with, right? I think, again, we, we, one of the hallmark symptoms of depression is a sense of helplessness, right? We're supposed to have a healthy sense of agency. And if we take that away from people because they have a healthy aversion to being violent, then we're actually guiding them into this place of, of being apathetic or passive aggressive or, and by the way, when we don't connect with our own thoughts enough and we pretend we don't have them, we're more vulnerable to actually going into denial and dissociating from awareness of our own thoughts, which is also bad for mental health. So I mean, again, it it, it confounds me that more psychologists are not standing up for free speech. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.